Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, March 22nd, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. I tell people all the time that you're playing in a softball league. As we get closer to spring and the summer, and when you're playing in a softball league, I know, you need uniforms, right? You don't just want to throw together the same color t-shirt for each team and just have it be a plain t-shirt. Get an actual uniform. They can come up with a customized design for you right here at Beantown Athletics. Just give them a call or go to the website and put in an order. They'll talk to you over the phone. You can come in and talk to them about something, and you will not just play good. You'll look good doing it. In fact, you'll look great doing it. Get your uniform right now at Beantown Athletics. Anything that you need, they can make it for you right here at Beantown. But again, make sure you tell them I sent you, would you? So getting in to the swing of things, getting back into the swing of things. As I'm back from the Dominican Republic, I returned on this podcast yesterday. I'm here five days a week. As you know, you can get this show at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Make sure you don't just listen on those apps. Subscribe, because then this show goes directly to your phone or your tablet. And of course, I always send out the link on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, all forms of social media. But as I get caught up now, uh, my second day back in the United States, back in Boston, and I'm trying to get caught up the best I can in the world of sports because I missed all of last week. Uh, I I am now starting to get into the current news, and that's where we stand. And I'll I'll get to the NFL owners' meetings, which they will wrap up tomorrow in Florida. We got some other things going on. We got a baseball game in Cuba right now. The Tampa Bay Rays against the Cuban national team. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that and some spring training stuff. But just looking now at the upcoming schedule for this show, uh, where I am back after missing all of last week. I'm going to have comedian Will Noonan in studio later this week, either Thursday or Friday. We're trying to figure that out. Will Noonan has a show coming up, a big show this weekend, and uh, he's always a great guest. We'll get him in studio. It's always a good time and a funny show, a hysterical show when he's in here. So he's also a wrestling fan, and you know what's right around the corner. All these things that I talked to you about, NCAA tournament, Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs, opening day in Major League Baseball, all of it, you know, sometimes people forget that this is also WrestleMania time. WrestleMania is also in a couple weeks, and Will's a big wrestling guy, so I'll get all the scoop from him as to what we can expect for the big show, WrestleMania, which is in Dallas this year, right? It's in Dallas at AT AT&T Stadium, so that's going to be a huge event. Uh, It's the showcase of the immortals, right? Uh, So Will will be in studio later this week. Me, I'm here all week, as you know. I'm on TV Friday night, Comcast Sportsnet New England. And I am back on WEEI this weekend for my weekend radio show, Saturday at 4 o'clock. 
Uh, I will be following the Red Sox and leading you into the NCAA tournament, which resumes on Thursday, the Sweet 16 on Thursday and Friday, the Elite Eight on Saturday and Sunday, and by the end of the weekend, we will know the Final Four. I don't have a bracket. I tried to go over the bracket as much as I could yesterday. This is the first year I have never had a bracket. The first year I've never had a bracket. But it's also the first time that around this time, I've gone away for an entire week where I don't have any service and I can't keep in touch with anything. That's how it was in the Dominican Republic. Now, I'm not necessarily complaining because if you listen to the open of yesterday's podcast, you know that I had a phenomenal time for an entire week in the Dominican. But I'm back now, and when the NCAA tournament resumes on Thursday, the Sweet 16, I will react to it. Um, before I get into some of this NFL stuff, and, and really what I'm going to do today, I think the top story that, that I want to make on this show is Roger Goodell needs to do one thing. He needs to take a look at the NBA with regards to a memo that the NBA just recently sent out to a team about something a player was doing that they have ruled illegal, which is illegal. I'll get to that. I want to, compa- I want to compare those two things, the Flategate and this recent situation in the NBA and how both situations were handled. But before I do get into that and some of the other stuff at the NFL owners meetings as of today, uh, I-, I, have to, I-, I have to say that my thoughts and prayers go out to everyone who was affected by the brutal terrorist attacks in Belgium this morning in the city of Brussels, 30 people killed. 230 people injured. That's as of right now. Those numbers could increase moving forward and later in the day. But um, dots and prayers go out to anybody who was injured or affected at all in these attacks at an airport and a subway station. Just, just brutal attacks. So our hearts go out to everyone in the city of Brussels. And it's just awful. I mean, it seems like we have to do this way too often. Right? Seems like we have to do this way too often. And I know you don't come to me for answers to this problem, because I certainly don't have those answers, but all we can do is say a couple prayers and hope that somebody does have the answers at some point, soon, immediately, um, and, and, you know, it's never an easy transition to go from that to what I do and what I talk about on this show, but we have to do it, so uh, once again, thoughts and prayers to everybody who was affected by the brutal terrorist attacks this morning in the city of Brussels. On this Tuesday afternoon, as the NFL annual meeting, or I should say the owners' meetings continue in Florida, they do wrap up tomorrow. They announced several rule changes today. I will get into that. I'll also give you a little funny thing that I saw with Bill Belichick this morning and and some bad news for Patriots fans, but if you listen to the show, you know that it's not surprising news to me. Uh, something that came out of Robert Kraft's mouth today. Robert Kraft talked yesterday about the draft pick, the draft picks that were taken away from them from Deflategate. Uh, but there is some news today on that front, or at least something that Robert Kraft is telling us. I'll get to that. But but here, here's what I want to do, because everybody's talking about all these things in the NFL with his own with the owners meeting, and and I don't know maybe. Maybe it's not getting enough attention, and maybe it is. You know, maybe I'm just not seeing it all because I'm still trying to get caught up 
uh, with everything that I missed last week, and maybe I missed some of the things in the, in the present time with the new breaking news, but there's, there's a story in the NBA, and, I, and here's what I want the NFL to do. I want, and Roger Goodell specifically, as they continue to fight the flake gate, right? As they continue to fight it. Here's what I want the NFL to do. I want them to watch what the NBA is doing right now with the Houston Rockets. And if you don't know, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on with the Houston Rockets and specifically what's going on with Dwight Howard. Now, I will preface this by saying I am not a Dwight Howard fan. I don't like the guy. I think he's an absolute clown. I think he is a heartless bastard when it comes to basically attitude on the court and I guess presence and my, I mean, it's just Dwight Howard is such a physical beast that he should be able to remain dominant in this sport. And he just doesn't do it. And I'm not so sure it's for a lack of talent. You get what I'm saying? Like, I just don't know how much this guy wants it. And in fact, over the years, as I've watched him, it seems to me that he doesn't want it, that he does not have the heart to, and the fight to, to want to win in this league and to want to be the dominant player that, I'll be honest with you, I think he can be if he really wanted it. He just doesn't want it. And because of that, and just the, on top of it, the clown that he seems to be, I don't like Dwight Howard. I've said it many times with the Celtics team. I don't want the Celtics, I don't want Danny Ainge to go anywhere near this guy. I want him to stay as far away from Dwight Howard as possible. So I just want to, I want to get that out of the way, all right? I think that needs to be said. And if you've listened to me, you know that's how I feel. But here's the situation that right now Dwight Howard finds himself in. And in fact, he, he actually, ultimately, he doesn't find himself in any situation because he's not being punished. And I want the NFL to pay attention to how the NBA has handled this situation. And if you don't know what the situation is, let me break it down for you. Saturday, there was a game between the Houston Rockets and the Atlanta Hawks. Paul Millsap goes to the free throw line and he gets the ball. And the ball was sticky, right? He saw The ball was sticky. He gives it back to the ref. He goes, what is going on here? Now, I believe Dwight Howard had just touched the basketball or just scored a basket on the other end or something. Dwight Howard had his hands on the ball right before that at some point. And there was a sticky substance on the ball that Paul Millsap didn't like, so he gives it back to the officials. Now, what happened was it was found that Dwight Howard was using a sticky hand-drying substance on his hands during the game. And Howard says that he's been using the substance for, for years and that it's not a big deal and nobody said anything. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it's a sticky substance. And if you look into the rules, the NBA has it illegal to use any adhesive substance, right? And now, you can still use the rosin, you know, something that's going to dry your hands if there's no stick. You can't use any type of, you know, substance that's going to make your hands sticky and, and ultimately come on the ball. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, when I hear, heard this story, I'm going, why would you want a sticky substance on your hand for this ball, right? I mean, you get the ball and you shoot it. You know what I mean? 
Like, it's one thing for a receiver in football to put stick them because you catch the ball and then you want to hold on to it and you run with it until you get taken down. You don't catch the ball and then throw the ball unless there's some type of special play. And in that situation, I would think you would probably, if you did have stick them on your gloves, you wouldn't be using those gloves or you'd be using different gloves. So I can understand if a receiver in football wants stick them. I, I cannot understand why a basketball player, especially the size of Dwight Howard. Now, people could say, well, he grabs crazy rebounds, and that helps him grab the basketball. And I'm just like, well, Dwight Howard, to, he has the biggest, does he not have the biggest hands in the league? What, he can't grab the basketball without a sticky substance? Give me a break. So, look, go and look at pictures of that basketball in Dwight Howard's hands. The guy does not need a sticky substance for any type of competitive edge. And in fact, I don't know how he gets a competitive edge with a sticky substance on his hand. Because if you're looking for him to produce offensively, and which you are, now you're asking him to grab rebounds, play some defense, block some shots, but, but you're also asking him to do something offensively. And, and if you look at his stats this year, his offensive numbers are down his lowest points per game total since, what, his rookie year? Uh, Ten years ago? Come on. Uh, this is... This doesn't make any sense to me, the fact that somebody would use a sticky substance. Now, you see this, it is illegal, and all of a sudden, your eye is on Dwight Howard. Even if you're not a basketball fan, if you like controversy, you want to see how the, how the NBA handles this. Now, the Patriots fan in me, just looking around at other sports and, and punishments, I'm, I was curious to see how the NBA would come down on Dwight Howard since this is illegal. After I got over all the confusion as to why an NBA player would even want, especially someone with the, with the hands the size of Dwight Howard, why he would even want to use stick them on his hands. Like, how would that actually benefit you in this game? Uh, and so I'm looking, I'm, I'm watching, I'm waiting to see how the NBA is going to handle this, and, and here's how they handled it. The NBA sent a memo to the Houston Rockets issuing them a warning. That's it. They gave the Rockets a warning. That's it. The NBA also sent a memo to the entire league, making it clear that the use of adhesive substances, which create a sticky substance, which puts stick them stick on the ball, that's illegal. That's, all, that's it. Memos. Warnings, memos, and warnings, okay? For something that is illegal, that is only illegal because apparently it could be used as some type of competitive edge. Now, again, I'm going back to, I don't know how this is a competitive edge. I don't. Like, does a, does a shooter, and I know Dwight Howard's not a shooter, but, I mean, does, does, a, does any, why anybody? Why, why anybody would want to stick them on the hands is beyond me. The only reason I can really, and this is digging. I mean, this is getting, this is getting like CSI on you. All right? This is digging into some crazy conspiracy theory. That the reason Howard does it is because maybe the team tells him to do it. Because they're not asking him to shoot. And in fact, when he touches the ball... You know, and he puts a layup in, the other team has to touch the ball, and if it's sticky, maybe the other team's shooters won't have a good day because they stick them on the ball, and they're just not, you know, it's, it, it, it's just not a good feel for those guys. But at the same time, then you start thinking, well, if, Howard's, if they're doing that, 
for the purpose of the other team to not shoot well, ultimately you're also affecting your own shooters. So if I'm someone like uh, a James Harden, I don't want my center with putting stick him on the ball if it's going to stay on there if we get the ball back and I have it and I have to shoot. I don't want stick him on the ball. Like, I, so I don't understand why you'd use it, but look, it's illegal. And if in, at, in that rule book somewhere, if it is deemed to be some type of competitive edge, you can't use it. And if you're using it, which he was, I was interested to see what the punishment would be. And the punishment is a warning, a memo, and a warning. That's it. To the team and then the rest of the league. And the NFL, and Roger Goodell specifically, should be paying very close attention to this. Because the situation of using stick on a basketball doesn't make sense to me when it comes to a competitive edge. Much like the inflation levels of a football doesn't make much sense to me when it comes to a possible competitive edge in the NFL. Which is why I never thought Deflategate would be a big deal at first. I'm going PSI levels in a football. Like if I gave you two footballs, one was deemed illegal at 11.5 and another was, you know, 12 and a half, which is legal, you wouldn't be able to tell me the fucking difference. You wouldn't. You just wouldn't. Like, so, yeah, it's in the rule book, but how, how literal do we want to take that when it comes to competitive edge and using that phrase and then coming down with a harsh punishment? And I think that's a conversation, at least it looks like, the NBA had, which is a reasonable conversation, which is something that I wish the NFL would have had. I wish they would have had that conversation. Like, I wish Goodell was in a room with, with, with maybe, all right, conference call with other owners, saying, guys, how do we handle this? And I know people wanted to get after the Patriots, and I know that's why, I understand that is why we are looking at this situation going, hey, they wanted to go after the Pats, they, because of the previous stuff, you know, the Spygate things and everything, so they wanted to come down hard on him. But as, as the commissioner, it's one thing to come down hard on the team. All right, fine. But then you came down on the player. You know, then you hit the player with a, a four-game suspension. And, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense based on, you know, even if they did do it, right? <laughs> based on what, what that actually means to the game. When we saw the second half of that AFC championship, the Patriots were using what we think were normal footballs, according to the league and what they thought was going on with the footballs. That's what we know. And in the Super Bowl, the NFL controlled the footballs. So, I mean, how much of a competitive edge, if they were doing it, was there? You have to have that conversation as a commissioner, if you want to be realistic, when it comes to punishing a player and giving him a four-game suspension. Okay? So... The NBA did this the right way. The NBA did this the exact way that I wanted to see the NFL do it. And I told you that many times. What Deflategate should have been was, if they thought there was some funny business going on with the PSI levels of the footballs, then what they should have done was, sent a memo to the Patriots and say, hey, we think we caught you doing something with the PSIs and the footballs. What we're going to let you know is, we're going to be checking these things out here at some point soon. And um, that can't happen. And here's the punishment for it. All right. And in fact, 
what we also know is that our officials didn't necessarily handle this the right way going into the game. So, and they, they haven't been doing it for years. So we're going to send a memo to the officials as well. We're also going to send a memo to the rest of the teams to, to let them know this rule and what's going on, right? And that's it. And even after the Wells report, let's say they did want to investigate and they, and they did want to talk to McNally and Jastrzemski and go through the text messages, this, that, and the other thing. When you read the Wells report, it's pretty clear. The officials have not been following the PSI rules correctly. They have not really cared about the PSI levels in a football. And if I'm the commissioner, once I see that, once I see that, all of a sudden, I, I, I have to back away from punishing players, right? Because now it's an officials issue as well. And maybe that's where you send the memo out. All right, we did an investigation. What we found was we need to we need to sharpen up this rule, even from an official standpoint. So here's what we're doing. We're gonna send a memo to the officials, a memo and a warning to the to the team, even maybe the player, you know, the individuals, Dushkremsky McNally, and McNally, and the rest of the league to let them know, hey, here's the rule, and it's gonna be enforced. And that's it. Like that's the way this should have been handled. Much like the league is handling this with the Houston Rockets. Instead, the, the NFL did not handle it that way, and they're still fighting Deflategate. You know, I, I, I will give credit to the NBA, because I think if they wanted to, yeah, I guess you could say Dwight Howard is a big name in the sport, but it's not like he's this all-star player anymore. He's not. I think if they wanted to set an, ex- set an example, right, and make a statement, I think you'd do it maybe with someone who's not an all-star. And that's why the NFL, that's why the Brady thing is so mind-boggling. Like, Brady is your, the best quarterback in the league. He's the guy you should be trying to protect, in my mind. The guy that, that, that makes, basically makes your league look like there's a dominant force in your league, and he's a legend. You, you should want to build that legend up, that legendary career. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that. And, and yet, the NFL punishes the legend, and the NBA, as a guy they probably could, you know, set an example with, make a statement with, and they don't. They send a memo and a warning. The NBA, it's, it, what they did with Houston and Dwight Howard, it just makes too much sense. It's, and it was a simple ruling, too. No investigation. Uh, they talked to some people, I'm sure. You know, slap on the wrist. Hey, don't let this happen again. It's in the rule book. It's illegal. You've been doing it for a while? Well, that can't happen. But we saw it. We don't like it. Here's a warning. Don't let it happen again. We're going to be watching out for it this time. Next time, here's what we're going to do. That's it. It's, it's, almost, it's almost too smart of an idea. It's almost too smart of an idea for Roger Goodell, that complete buffoon, to come up with. And I know you'll come back to me and say, well, the owners wanted to get the Patriots. And they, and they got them. They got the Patriots. Uh, it's just, you got to drop the thing with Brady. You got to, you got to drop it and they won't do it. And I don't know when that comes to an end. Who knows when that comes to an end. But the Patriots will now looking at their draft picks and, and bringing it back now, getting away from that and bringing it back to the NFL and what they're going to do with the Patriots draft picks that they took away. You know, yesterday I talked about how Robert Kraft said he sent a letter to Roger Goodell and he wants the draft picks back. And um, I told you, he, he's, they're not going to get him back. Like, I just don't see a scenario in which they get him back. Do I think they should get him back? Yes. 
Uh, do I want them to fight to get him back? Of course. But the draft is going to be here before you know it. And there's just not enough time. You see how long Deflategate's going on with Brady's suspension. They're not going to give those picks back. If they were, there wouldn't be enough time to get them back before this year's draft. And I don't think they're going to give them back for a future draft so that the Patriots would have two first-round picks one year. You know, whatever pick they have and then give them the, you know, the pick after the final team. Or maybe you could look at it as the first pick in the second round. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Right? It's just not. So, I, I told you yesterday, Kraft wants them. Wrote good out of the letter. I told you they're not going to get him back. It's just not going to happen. And today, the news is, down at these owners' meetings, and this is coming from Tom E. Curran, Comcast Sportsnet New England, Robert Kraft tells Tom E. Curran that the Patriots will not get their picks back. Here's his quote. It's not going to happen. End quote. That's it. It's not going to happen. Now, I, I told you. I mean, I want him to get the picks back, but now even Robert Kraft is coming to the realization that they are not going to get these draft picks back. So that's probably the worst news you'll hear today as a Patriots fan, I think. For anybody that might have been keeping a little bit of hope that possibly there'd be a miracle, there won't be any miracle. The Patriots are not getting their picks back. And it's a shame, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Now... That's the worst news you'll hear today. The funniest thing you'll hear today is Bill Belichick. I should say the funniest thing you'll see. I hope you look at the video. You know how they do these meetings, like Belichick sitting at a table eating breakfast, and the reporters huddle up next to him, and basically they're annoying the shit out of him. Can we agree to that? Like, and Now, I'm not blaming these reporters like for this moment. like They have to do their job, and it's not like, it's not like Belichick or these coaches pick a good place for them to sit. Like, they're trying to make this 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 comfortable conversation with the coach sitting down eating breakfast or eating brunch or whatever the fuck he's eating. And Belichick, who talks about as soft and mumbles as much as anybody that you know when the cameras are in front of his face and the microphones are in his face. So you're going to get those cameras and those little recorders and maybe if you use your phone as a recorder which I used to when I was a reporter. You gotta, you like to get that thing, hit record, take that recorder, and put it up right right in his grill. Like, put it, you place it on the table. Right? Much like if someone at a press conference, you run up and you put the recorder up there. And, of course, you have cameras and you have other people holding mics in his face and even putting mics down, you know, the little handheld mics on mini tripods, and they put those on the table in front of the coach, in front of Belichick. I don't blame the reporters for wanting to get those recorders up in his face. Now, I, I usually do knock some of the things that go on with reporters when they can be a little out of control with just, you know, hounding someone and in someone's grill. Sometimes it is out of control, especially when you have someone who talks loud and you don't, okay, you don't need to hit him in the forehead with your microphone. Like, can you just, everybody, everybody just back up a little bit here. You're going to be able to get this sound clip and it's fine. With Belichick, I don't blame him because he mumbles and he's soft, like I just said. You need to get that recorder right up in his grill. But he's sitting at this round table eating breakfast, and he's got this spot. Now, I think he's done with his food at this point. And everybody puts their recorders and their microphones right in front of him. Like, they give him no space for his hands. Again, I don't blame him 
because he talks so soft, you need to get that, you need that to pick up on the microphone. Belichick takes the microphones and he just pushes those fucking things and he does it in, he doesn't do it in a jovial manner either. He is like bullshit that these things are up in his grill and he's pushing them and he like throws one of them. (laughs) Now, if that was my phone, because I used to use my phone, literally my iPhone, you know, you put it on what airplane mode, but then you hit record on your app and you would take it. And you would put it right up and you'd walk away. So I'd be bullshit if Belichick was like throwing my phone around. Like that, that's some expensive equipment there. Especially, I'm sure there's a couple, a, a couple writers who aren't, you know, making the big bucks that wanted to put their recorder there. They might even be a freelance writer or two that decided to go out or somebody sent them out uh, to, to the meetings, you know. It's not like you're breaking the bank in the business where you could just go out and buy another recorder if Belichick throws a recorder off the table. So I'd be a little pissed off at Belichick if he touch, starts throwing my shit around, especially if it's my fucking phone. But that's what he did. And I, you know, with it not being my recorder, with it not being my phone, I found it pretty hysterical. You got it now, me talking about it doesn't do the video justice. So you got to go watch that video. That's the funniest thing you'll see today. With Bill Belichick, he also talks about how he's boys with Kid Rock. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you want me to break that down. Like, how do you want me to possibly break that down? The only thing I could say is that what I noticed when I covered the Patriots with Belichick, when the cameras were off, when the microphones weren't in his face, he kind of flipped the switch. Like, he all of a sudden became this really cool dude. And I think that's who he really is. He just hates the media. He hates having to meet with them all the time. He hates having to answer all the same questions. He hates having to uh, have somebody ask him about some type of game plan or scheme or injury where he's not going to give somebody with a microphone the inside information. And I think he finds that laughable that somebody would even think they're going to get that information off him. He just hates it. And, and I don't really blame him, okay? Because a lot of times, and I sit here and tell you, I think there's too much media access with some of these guys. I really do believe that. Even when I was a reporter, you know, when you need things on deadline, you need quotes. I think sometimes you, you know, we're, we're, we're maxing out on it. And it just seems like one too many minutes standing around doing nothing in that locker room or or one too many press conferences during the week. I think Belichick sees that and you can uh, see the hate that he has for that on his sleeve. He wears it on his sleeve. But when those cameras are off, when those microphones on in his face, I think that's the real him. I, I, I do think he's a pretty cool cat. And, and maybe that's why he hangs out with, or he's friends with Kid Rock. I have no idea. But um, that would be my theory, I guess. I don't know how much else I can go on and break that down for you. But that video, you got to go see it. Uh, with Belichick and the microphones and the recorders, you gotta, that's the funniest video at the owners' meetings you'll see. At least... As, as of the moment, I'm recording this podcast. I, I mentioned the rule changes that were announced. And, you know, the one that sticks out to me, well, they, they, they permanently moved the extra point back to the 15-yard line, right? They, they permanently did that. They tried it out last year. Uh, they're going to they're gonna stick with that. So they permanently moved the extra point there. And the, but the other thing that sticks out to me is they have made all chop blocks illegal. All chop blocks illegal. On passing plays, 
I believe they were legal. On Russian plays, they weren't. Either way, either way, whatever the rule was previously, all chop blocks are now illegal. Uh, they've expanded the horse collar rule to include when a defender grabs the jersey at the nameplate or above and pulls the runner towards the ground. But, I mean, I don't think there's anything too crazy on here. At least I don't see anything uh, with, with my judgment on it. And so those are some of the rule changes. The field, the, the extra point will permanently be at the 15-yard line. So uh, that is what's going on in Florida for the NFL owners' meetings. And as I told you right now, they're uh, playing a baseball game. Playing a baseball game in Cuba. Tampa Bay Rays versus the Cuban national team. Uh, the first major league baseball team to play there since 1999. President Obama is there. A special moment for sure. And, and, and not to diminish the human element that's at play, obviously, here with this game in Cuba. But, you know, I'm sitting here watching this game right now. It just started as I'm recording this podcast on the TV in front of me here at the Beantown Athletic Studio. But um, I'm watching this, and, you know, the sun's beating into the windows, coming off of Granite Ave in Dorchester. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still... I'm still trying to get back into the swing of things. You know, I'm starting to get it. I'll, you know, I'm a little upset because it is kind of chilly outside still. Like, I want warm weather. I want to go out in a t-shirt and shorts. I want to be able to go down the beach when I get home from recording this. And I, it's a little too cold to do that. But the sun is blasting in here. And there is a baseball game on TV. And it just, I'm watching this. And, and it gives me that feeling of, okay, baseball is right around the corner. Opening day is just a few weeks away. And so that's a good feeling. That's a good thing. One other thing, too, I told you I was upset that I had to come back here with this weather. Last night, I see, I forgot all about you know, daylight savings, right? We moved the clocks ahead an hour the day that I left. So I didn't get to experience that, and I forgot all about it. So last night, I get home. And, and from doing some things in the studio, and I'm sitting in my house, and I'm going... What fucking time is it right now? The sun was out. It was like 7 o'clock. It's 6.30, 7 o'clock. I'm like, wow. The Celtics pregame was starting. And I'm going, I forgot all about it. We moved the clocks ahead. So uh, that, that made me feel a little bit better now that I'm back here in Boston. But watching this baseball game, the sun out. You know, the clocks moved ahead. It's, it's brighter out later in the day. It just gives me that baseball feel, and we are getting closer. And here in Boston, all the talk is of a possible competition at third base between Travis Shaw and Pablo Sandoval. Now, you know Pablo's the guy that's making the big bucks, that had a terrible season last year, that showed up looking like a slob to spring training, and the team defended him. Even though the words that came out of Sandoval's mouth were embarrassing and, and I think a disgrace when he says he's got nothing to prove. And he, and he does have something to prove here in Boston because he just signed a monster contract. And he's the third baseman. And he had a terrible year last year. He had the 12th worst OPS in, in, in all of Major League Baseball. Like, I'm sorry. You do have something to prove. You cannot show up to spring training looking like a fat slob telling us that you didn't weigh yourself. That's what he said. He said he didn't weigh himself and telling us that you have nothing to prove. Like, that's just, how could you possibly say that? And that's just, it, it's embarrassing. It was an embarrassing moment for the organization, and I think they tried to hide that embarrassment by 
by protecting him and defending him. Now, publicly, I don't expect them to actually call somebody out the first days of spring training. There's no need to do that and, and create that hostility in the clubhouse. You don't need to do that right away. You don't need to really do it all. And I'm okay if you don't, but privately, I would hope that there's some type of conversation there that, hey, Pablo, you got something to prove. We need you. We're asking for you to have that mentality so that we can get out of the basement of the division. The last place team, the last two years in the AL East. Like, you got to get out. So, they, and they're asking for him to do that. Now, we're all asking for him to do that, to improve upon last year's season. We're also looking to see, you know, and I, it sounds like the team's doing it too, looking to see where you can get Travis Shaw into this lineup. Where can you get him in? And, and the, really, right now, the answer is we don't know. We don't know, but we need to try. Now, I will say this. For all this talk about competition between Shaw and Sandoval, I'm still looking for the quote, that directly says that, you get what I'm saying? Like, like I, I know what they've said. I, I, I'm still looking at a quote that says, there's a competition, open competition between Shaw and Sandoval to see who is the opening day third baseman. Like, I, I've yet to find that direct quote. I've yet to hear someone actually say that. I think what we've turned it in, I think we've turned it into that. When the team says, Travis Shaw is going to compete. See, what I've heard was, Travis Shaw is going to compete for at-bats, for regular at-bats. And third base was a spot that he's going to work out at. I've also, we've also heard, wasn't he going to do some things in the outfield? And you know, he's going to get some reps at first base. Now, they've said, people down there said, the Hanley Ramirez experiment hasn't been bad at first base. Now, wait, let's wait and see. Let's not go running off deeming this thing a fucking success when we haven't even played one meaningful game yet, all right? Let's wait and see. Um, but that said, I, I, I think Travis Shaw is going to also get a look at first base. So I don't know if this is... We, see, I've heard people turn it into comp, open competition between Sandoval versus Travis Shaw. Like, they're going to be going up against each other at WrestleMania. Like, this is like a Shaw versus Sandoval. And I, I just... I don't know that that's what's going on. I think that maybe there is part of the team that might want to give Sandoval a little kick in the behind, and maybe that's it. And I like Shaw. I I think he's proven at the major league level. He can put the ball in the seats. He plays good defense from everything that I've seen. And, you know, looks like he's a, a, a bright, hardworking kid. And I'd like to see him get some at-bats with this team. Now, there's just no real spot for him. As much as I like him, I still think you open up the season with Sandoval at third and Hanley at first. Now, in my perfect world, Sandoval would be at first and Hanley would be at third. uh, But that's not what they're going to do. So, with the current infield that they have set and that they obviously want... I do think you go into opening day with Hanley at first and Pablo at third, and I think Travis Shaw's on the bench to begin. Like, I think that's what goes on here. You, but, but one thing you are doing, and I don't think this is, I don't think, it's, I don't think this is bad. Like, people are going to turn this, and you know, I've crushed Sandoval. I have crushed him. And people will turn this into maybe, oh, a competition. 
Oh, Sandoval's on his way out. Look, I'm willing to give him another year or another at least half a year to see what he can do. I am. I'm willing to give him that. I'm willing to give him another year and say, figure it out. But one, maybe he needs a kick in the behind and maybe that's what they're doing. Two, I don't know that I want to turn this into, oh, that this is a bad thing. This is a great thing because you are now telling me that you're a team that has a whole lot of depth. You got Chris Young, who plays the outfield, who just rakes against lefties, okay? And that's what you're going to use him for. You have Brock Holt, who we know was a, I mean, he was a fucking all-star. He was in the all-star game last year, and he's a utility man. You know what you're getting out of Brock Holt, all right? We love him. Bouncing around, he can play every position. Now I'm waiting for him to come in and um, to manage the team one, one night, right? So, that, that's some serious depth right there. Chris Young, what he can do against lefties. Brock Holt playing any position. And Travis Shaw, a kid off the bench who swings a big stick and can put balls in the seats. That, what we're seeing now, can, is not just a first baseman can play multiple positions. I think this is, a, this is a great problem to have, to be sitting here saying right now, you got too many guys. You'd rather be saying that than go into the season and Pablo sucks, or Hanley can't catch a ball at first base, and you're saying to yourself, we don't really have anybody, and if we do move someone, then we lose some depth because then we got to put someone else in the outfield. No, 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 no. What's going on with the Red Sox right now, people are going to make controversy, competition. I tell you what, as much as I hate it on Sandoval and hate it on Hanley, I'm not going the controversial route with this story. I think this is great news because... What you're telling me is that you are embracing this depth rather than... Now, in the process, sure, you might be giving a couple guys a kick in the behind. You might be doing that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I don't know that internally that there's this big controversy that, you know, is is being created with this conversation of Travis Shaw competing for regular at-bats at a certain position. It's a, it's a good problem to have. Competition is a good thing. We've all called out Sandoval by now and Hanley by now. But when I call them out, I call them out mainly for their attitudes. And I say, hey, boys, if you produced last year, I don't think I would have reacted to this stuff the way I did because it all comes back to production, which is why this Travis Shaw story all comes back to being a good thing. The more guys you have on this team, on this roster, on the on the starting line in the starting lineup, and in the dugout, the more of those guys that can produce, the better off you'll be. And that's all you're really asking. And if you got some guys that are slumping, you got some guys that are getting injured. I think you know right now that you got some serious depth. Okay, at least that's the way it looks. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you think there's something wrong with that, well. No, you'll get some people in this town that's going to turn this into this big controversy. And as much as I've crushed Sandoval and Hanley, how they came in and their attitudes, I also said, yeah, we, at some point we got to get over that, let them go through spring training and get into the regular season. And uh, right now, the way this Red Sox team looks going into the season, I mean, uh, I'm curious about the Eduardo Rodriguez situation and the knee. But I don't think it's a bad thing. They're going to begin him on the 15-day DL. I think that's a good thing. There's no need to rush it because at some point late this season, given this would be his first full Major League season, 
you know, as as a starting pitcher and just in general, uh, I look at him, he has the type of stuff to be the number two starter behind David Price. At some point, if you did pitch him the full season, you'd have to give him some, t- there would be some type of innings limit later on in the year. You know, deal with it now. Deal with that now. Especially if he's a little banged up. He tweaks something, deal with it now. No need to deal with that, have to figure that out in a playoff race in August or September, which I do think this team can be in. I think they can be in a playoff race. Um, but but that's that's really when you deal with it. You don't, you know, you don't deal with it at the end of the season. You deal with it at the beginning of the season. And uh, that's something that I still have my eye out on. Also, Carson Smith, he's got forearm, forearm tightness. That, the, he says he's cautiously optimistic. That's a nice move they made in the offseason for their bullpen. But when I hear... Pitcher, forearm tightness, um, uh, forearm injury at all, I don't feel good about that. I, I, honestly, I really don't. I, don't. I don't have an optimistic viewpoint of hearing that news. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. And the Red Sox, I'm just ready for it. I'm ready for the regular season. I'm ready for this team to come out with David Price on the mound. And I'm ready to just get out of the basement of the AL East. You know, I'm ready for it. Let's go. Couple weeks, almost here. Also almost here, the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs, so it's a great time of year. The Bruins tonight, the Boston Bruins at Madison Square Garden, excuse me, tomorrow night, the Bruins are at Madison Square Garden. Tuka Rask is sick. We'll see how how that situation goes. Uh, The Bees are coming off, losing three straight on the West Coast. This is a huge game for them. You look at the NHL standings right now. If the playoffs began today, the Bruins are the third-place team in their division, which means that they would play the second-place team, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, Florida Panthers are in first place with 89 points. Uh, they are two points ahead of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is 87. Florida is three points ahead of the Bruins. The Bruins have 86 so the Bruins are still right there, all right? They, they still, they played 73 games. They have nine games left in an 82-game season. They still could be the first-place team. They still could be the second-place team. But they still could be on the outside looking in of the playoffs. The wild-caught teams are the Islanders and the Detroit Red Wings. The Islanders have 85 points. The Red Wings have 83. So Islanders one point behind... The Bruins, um, now, I understand that that doesn't necessarily matter, but I'm just trying to give you the vibe as to where the wild card stands with everybody else. It's really Detroit, because Detroit is in the Atlantic Division, and they have 83 points, three points behind the Bruins. I mean, it's doable, and, and you know, Detroit actually has 10 games left. Then you got Philly, who's on the outside looking in. They have 82 points. They're only four points behind the Bruins. So, I mean, nothing is guaranteed when it comes to a playoff spot right now for the Boston Bruins. So this is a big game tonight against a very good New York Rangers team that has 41 wins. Uh, the Rangers at home, 24-8-3. The Bruins, as we know, are a much better team on the road. Uh, so a big game for them. I guess the hope is that Tuka Rask isn't so sick that he cannot play in this one. And uh, also tomorrow night, I mentioned playoffs. That's a Stanley Cup playoff picture. The NBA playoff picture is 
shaping up. And it is kind of wild in the middle of that Eastern Conference, and the Celtics are right in the middle of it. They have a huge game at home versus the Toronto Raptors tomorrow night. Uh, The Seas are coming off wins over Philly and last night over the Orlando Magic. But if you look at the East right now, the Celtics are the five seed in the East with 41 wins. The same amount of wins as the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, The Miami Heat actually have only 40 wins, but they only have 29 losses. So we're saying in the loss column, the the Heat, the Hawks, and the Celtics, they're all nine and a half games out of first place behind Cleveland, but Toronto's in the middle of them. Toronto's the two seed. Uh, Toronto a game and a half behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, this is a huge game for the Seas, not because I think they can catch Toronto and they're playing Toronto, but because, you know, you got you, you to get your wins in right now. You've played 71 games. You have 11 games left. And the two teams in front of you are pretty good clubs. So you, you really want that three seed. You want the two or the three. You're not going to get the two. You got to get up to three. So really, it's, it's, these are, you got some must-win games here moving forward. And, and you also, yeah, you beat two teams the last two games who are not great. You'd like to continue to send home that message. Now, the Celtics are a little banged up um, without Jay Crowder. So we'll see how this one does play out. Jay Crowder is really sort of their heart and soul, I think, when it comes to the defensive end. Uh, but, yeah, Avery Bradley's still a great defender. Marcus Smart has struggled lately. But you'd like to get... You'd like to have him get his head on straight and, and figure some things out. Maybe he will. Uh, but the Celtics, I think this should be a, a, a good They should give Toronto a game tomorrow night. And at this point, it's playoff time. That's what it is. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. Look at these. Look at the standings. And look behind the Celtics. Uh, Charlotte's a half game behind the seas. Charlotte's the sixth seed. Indiana. Um, Indiana, maybe not so much. They have 37 wins compared to the Celtics, 41. But the Celtics, I mean... Technically could drop down to six. I mean, at this point, you know, I, I, I think if the if you're the Celtics, you're not trying to lose. Obviously, you're trying to get up to the three seed. But the three seed plays the six seed. If you're asking me, I don't want the four or the five. I either want the three or the six. Now, you're rather at the three. But if you get the six instead of the four or the five, that's not the end of the world. You know how I feel, because it is set brackets, okay? Uh, These are set brackets, which means the winner of the three versus the six plays the winner of the two versus the seven. And I know right now Toronto's creeping up on Cleveland, but I, I think Cleveland and LeBron went off last night, by the way. LeBron went off last night, and he's unfollowing the Cavaliers on Twitter. That's... That's drama that they don't need. Like, why would you do that? You, you want to get, just get off social media. Or just mute them. You don't have to unfollow them. Then he gets asked about it. What, you think you're not going to get asked about it? He's all, you know, he's got his panties in a bunch after, at the press conference? Come on. I've defended LeBron. But he's done some just shady things on Twitter this year. With these cryptic messages. He's unfollowing the Cavaliers on Twitter the other day. What the fuck are you doing, dude? And he has, I mean, he had a knife for himself last night 
I don't think Cleveland's going to drop out of that one spot, even though Toronto's close. But, uh, look, the winner of the three versus six plays the winner of the two versus seven, which means if, and the Celtics aren't going to get two, you either want three or six at this point. And you're not going to get seven because Indiana's too far down to move up. Uh, you don't want four or five because that means you play Cleveland in the second round. And I, I, I don't think that's going to end well for the Celtics. If you're trying to get to at least the conference finals, you want the three or the six. And if you can't get the three, you get the six. But nah, the Celtics aren't going to try to lose to get the six. I understand that. Me being the fan, though, that's the way I'm thinking heading in. I mean, my ultimate mindset is win this game tomorrow night against Toronto, win a couple games, go on a, a little, continue this winning streak, get it up to four or five games, and get up to that three seed. And you know what? Just play playoff basketball here down the stretch. The Celtics were so exciting last year around this time at the end of the season. And they, you know what? I think this year they can do that and then carry it into the playoffs. Uh, but huge game tomorrow night against the Raptors at home. So there you go. That's what it looks like right now. Almost back into it completely, 100%. Hopefully the next couple days we will be. Again, Will Noonan, comedian Will Noonan will join me later this week. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook. Maybe I'll read your comment on the air on this podcast. I'm here five days a week. You can subscribe and listen at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are available. I am out. Talk to you tomorrow.